Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning. Gosh, is it great to be here. Is it summer here all the time? Man, I'm only partially thawed out. It was uh, one degree when I left. Even Chicago was colder than Milwaukee, and I still am not fully thawed out. Uh, My thermostat just went crazy yesterday, and uh, I'm having, uh, having some real jitters kind of adjusting. But I'll tell you what. Uh, my buddy Jim Johnson, the president of Time of Grace Television Ministries, is here with me, and he's got a gun, and he's going to need it to get me on the plane Tuesday. <laughs> I think I'll stay here a while, and later I'll send for my wife and kids, because I, <laughs> I, uh, I think I know where I'm retiring. It's so great to be here in the valley and enjoy the sunshine, and it's great to be here at Crosswalk to enjoy the S-O-N sunshine with all of you today. What a thrill. We're going to be here with you, even though I won't be here in body. I will be here with you in spirit and through the magic of television. And we're thrilled that... uh, I understand you're busy next Sunday. (laughs) Cardinals totally rock, don't they? I mean, unbelievable. What a year. Uh, Once once we figured halfway through the season that... uh, the Packers uh, were pretty much toast. You could stick a fork in them and it was over. Uh, we, were, we were really quietly rooting for the Cardinals because you've had such a drought. And I'm, I'm thrilled for all of you. Go Cards. I'm re- you're, we're rooting for you. and should be great fun. But the week after, on February 8th, we're thrilled to be able to bring Time of Grace television, not only through the Internet, not only through satellite, where we have been all this time on Wednesdays, but we're thrilled to be here Sunday mornings, too, on Channel 5. I want to uh, also thank Pastor Jeff for inviting me to be here with you and to kind of finish out his series that he's been working on called Bailout. Gosh, money is on people's minds, isn't it? It has been a hell of a year in 08 and 09. From everybody I hear in the money trade says it could be just as bad or worse until these problems work their way through our economy. It's really hit home in my own life. In our congregation, people are being laid off. One of our uh, longtime members, computer engineer, lost his job last week. Maybe you, if you keep track of financial news, you notice that Harley-Davidson, one of uh, America's most solid companies, their stock price was 76 bucks just a couple of years ago. Now it's, uh, now it's like 10 bucks. Uh, it's just terrible. A thousand layoffs from this company. Ten percent of its workforce were just swept out, including um, the chairman of our board of elders at St. Marcus Congregation, where I'm the senior pastor. Guys worked for Harley for 25 years and was told to clean out his desk. And there's more to come. This past week, my son Sam, living in Virginia, single guy living in Lynchburg with some friends, was laid off from his job, the plastics business that he was working in. Um, had to downsize their workforce, and he was the most recent hired, so he was the first out the door. And I'm sure that most of you already have some financial stress stories to tell, and I know money is on your mind. I uh, finally made myself look at year-end what happened to my retirement savings. Eventually, I hope to stop working, but it's going to be longer than I had planned on, because probably four years' worth of salary, if you just take the gross and multiply, evaporated from my retirement savings. Is that anybody else watch some real devastation happen to your your savings this past year? It has been a hell of a year. And yet, our God still rules, and he still has some important things to tell us, sometimes by blessing us. Sometimes he almost risks making us pigs because he gives us so much. 
But our God works it both ways. He's like Warren Buffett. He can make money in an up market and a down market. And God, our God, works it for your benefit, sometimes by jacking you up and sometimes by subtracting things from you as well. And so it's my thrill to come here at the tail end of bailout and talk to you. Maybe it's last in the chronology of Pastor Jeff's series, but it's of first importance. And that's the way in which we think about money and as it relates to our God. I want to start out by talking to you this morning about a name you may or may not notice. The name Timothy Geithner, ring a bell. Who of you have heard that name before? Raise your hand. All right, I'd say about eight of you. All right, of the eight of you who know, who've heard the name, who is Timothy Geithner? Somebody just holler it out. What? That's good. And he's now President Obama's... Secretary of the Treasury of the United States. Just a little job. He went through his confirmation hearings last week. And some of uh, his um, political, I don't say adversaries, but um, the other party, the party not in power, sweated him through it. That's the job of the opposition. You always sweat the administration's new nominees. And of all things, here is the nation's chief, now chief money manager. He's in charge of the Treasury. We've given him the keys of Fort Knox. And it turns out that about five years ago, he had a little whoops with the IRS. He owed the IRS 35 grand. And he was getting sweated over, how did, how did you stiff the United States government? It wasn't even some obscure little thing you missed. It was obvious you didn't pay taxes that whole year. And what happened? How, how is this possible? How can we trust you with managing the money supply of the whole United States of America if you can't even get your own personal taxes right? And Mr. Geithner was appropriately humble. This is the time to suck it up, hang your head, and, and take, you know, take the bad dog, bad dog spanking you're about to get. And he hung his head and he said, it was not deliberate. It was not intentional. I just didn't think about it. Not bad, isn't If you're going to try to wiggle off the hook, isn't that's not bad, is it? Not bad at all. I just didn't think about it. I'm like, oops, <laughs> oh, 35 grand. Oh, quick, let me write a check now. And so obviously he, he quick coughed up the dough, and he and the IRS are fine now. But they sweated him on this. How could you not notice that you owe that large amount of money? And especially in these times now when all of us are being squeezed. Man, the IRS was after me last year three different times. First in April when I coughed up my first wad. Then I got another letter um, telling me how much more I owed, and I had to cough it up again. Then when I got my famous 2008 rebate check. Did any of you get a, like a tax rebate check this year? Mine came, and I was thrilled. They screwed up that extra four grand that they gouged out of me in July. It was all a mistake. I peeled open my check from the IRS. Do you know what the amount was? I have it framed in my office right now. $2.08. So the IRS is milking me like a Wisconsin cow, and here our chief money man just sort of forgot to write out his check for thirty-five grand. It makes me um, uh, feel things that I'm not allowed to say in a Christian group. I just didn't think about it. I just didn't think about it. And you know what? Many of the people of God who ought to know better in their own money management are reckless and careless 
with the money, the spending decisions they make. Decisions you make every day. It's one of the most common decisions you make is managing what comes in and what goes out. And as regards your relationship with your God, far too often, people just don't think about it. One of my jobs as a dad that I, I will give myself about a C- minus or D-plus on if I were grading myself is training my own kids in the, the art and glory and beauty of Christian stewardship. I have two high school kids and two more or less college-age kids. And they get their box of envelopes from church. And see, they don't like to use them because that's like, wait, like, Dad, that's so old school. Like, oh, we're beyond that now. We're, post, we're in the post-offering envelope box generation. Like, ugh. Like, that's so yesterday. <laughs> and so I said, well, what did you give last year? They have no idea. Because they cough out a little cash when the Spirit moves them. When, when they happen to be loitering around when an offering basket comes by, they may or may not throw some cash in. They have no idea. And if God had sent one of his angel accountants to have them in front of a hearing, what did you do with the wealth I threw at you in 2008? They would have no idea what they gave back to the Lord for the same with the same excuse that Timothy Geithner gave to the Senate committee grilling him before his approval. I guess I just didn't think about it. It just never, like, came into my, into the attic, you know, into consciousness. It just was sort of just a little thing back in the background of my life, not in the front. I am guilty of the same thing, and so are you. And God has some therapy for us in the prophet Malachi. And I'd like to dig into that with you today for our Bible study. It's, uh, I, I was trying to think how to boil this down. And I'm going to try to summarize it for you. But the longer reading is printed out for you as an insert in your uh, service folder this morning. Malachi sits in a very unique position in the Bible. The last of the books of the Old Testament written uh, through the ministry of an amazing prophet, Malachi. literally means my messenger. Malachi, the Malach is the Hebrew word for an angel or a prophetic messenger. Middle of the 5th century B.C., and he may just have been the last of God's official prophets before he fell silent for four centuries until the word came in person, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing book. It's set up kind of like a Q&A. You know what Q&A is, right? Malachi is Q&A. He sets up an issue, phrased as a question, and then he answers it. Malachi is not for the faint of heart. If you're a tiny baby Christian, you don't read Malachi. Pay no attention to it whatsoever because it's bracing direct stuff. He slaps you around if you read it. But if you're up to it, Stick your nose in there with me, and let's see what God says. First, a message to the leadership, and then to the, what would you call us, followership. And there are three messages here. Don't, don't put God last, what's left over, but put him first. And there are three powerful messages um, related to that. One's a scolding, one is a proclamation, and one is a promise. And let's see what's in here. First, if you look in the neighborhood of uh, verse 6, God says, 
where's the honor do me? You just said you're going to say the Lord's Prayer in about uh, 20 minutes. Our Father. If I'm a father, where's the honor do me? If I'm a master, if you call me master or Lord, where's the respect? It's you, O priests, who despise my name. The, The spiritual leadership is rotten because you're dissing me. I don't like it one bit. And you say, well, how have we done that? And he said, you're, you're, um, you're cheating me when you bring blind animals for sacrifice. Isn't that wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, like the ones you can't use in your farming business, the animals that have congenital diseases that make them undesirable for breeding because you don't want those genetic breakdowns to be passed on and have whole litters of animals that you can't sell and are not going to be good meat or milk producers. Don't throw me your leftovers. I haven't given leftovers to you. I've blessed you richly. But you're cheating me. Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Now implore God to be gracious to us. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. Holy smokes, close up church. Your worship disgusts me because it's all talk. Nothing has integrity. Nothing is real. It's all phony. You're playing games with words, but the reality isn't there. You don't mean what you're saying. You're lying to me, and it makes me sick. I'd rather have no church at all, no worship at all, than a bunch of lying, hypocritical BS. It drives me crazy, and I'm hurt by it. It's not because I have cheated you, but you are cheating me. I'm not pleased with you. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great, and if not among you, then among the nations, and I'll get it somewhere else. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. My name will be great. I want to be honored, not shamed. I want to be worshipped not thrown leftovers. I want to be first in people's lives, not last, not given leftovers. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal. And I'd have to kind of hang my head here. First of all, I'm a leader. Have I really made the Lord great in my money talk with my children, my own children? Do I grumble about money? Do I I complain? Do I have an envious spirit in my home? Do I make it seem like we're poor in my home? Do my children feel um, overwhelmed with the goodness of the Lord? Or do they hear me talk as though I'm getting cheated and and, uh, that our family basically got left behind in America's bounty. When I was living in Colombia, in the country of Colombia, during my intern year, I was a mission developer high up in the Andes. One of the families of people that I served was an elderly woman. There's no social security in Colombia. Just because you're old doesn't mean you can now start collecting money from the government. You work or your family supports you, or you die. It's just a real simple existence, real simple rules. Uh, The government, you're on your own. She had no family who would support her, and so she worked as a charcoal maker. She would um, get hardwood and burn it down so that it was charred and break it up and then sell it for charcoal. One of the lowest rungs of uh, economic enterprise in the city of Medellin. 
In her house was homemade. It was made out of salvaged tile blocks with a corrugated metal roof, and she had a dirt floor inside. There were windows, but there was no glass in the windows, just a flap of cloth. She couldn't waste money on things like food, because that, I mean, on, on shoes, because that would mean then she couldn't eat. When I would go and visit her, it completely changed my ideas about what is enough and what is wealth. And ever since that day, I have felt spoiled. But have I, as a, like a priest of God, really adequately reflected my gratitude to live in such plenty? Or does the fact that the more God gives me only excites my covetousness, envy, and greed and makes me want more? That it's not enough to have a couple of TVs in my house. I have to sit there and drool at the people with the really big screens. It's not enough to walk around with a portable telephone, but then I got to drool at the people with iPhones and with Blackberries who are like checking their stock prices or something while they're driving. <clears throat> People who um, pretend to be busy at a meeting, but actually they're secretly surfing the net because they're clicking around. There's always more. There's always a way that the devil can make you feel like you've been cheated and that God is a stingy old miser, if he exists at all, who's squeezing you and making you and watching you struggle. Every one of us has money stories of things that have gone wrong for us and gives us like a reason to blame God. Like, it's your fault. Why are you squeezing and beating on me like this? And in shame and repentance, I have to take the scolding to heart. Now, you come on in my scolding tent with me, and you take it too. We have all too often pulled a Timothy Geithner and cheated God from an honest return of the riches he's given us. That's the scolding. There's a promise, though, too. Look how this chapter ends. Chapter 1 begins, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 1 ends with an incredible phrase. I am a great king. When you don't return to me a portion, an honorable, worshipful portion of the treasures I've given you, you're not really confessing the reality that I'm a great king. And I don't care how you slice it in our culture, but also back then, money is reality. Talk is cheap, but money is real. Any of you ever see the movie Jerry Maguire? Raise your hand if, you, if you've ever seen it. Oh, a lot of you have. Cuba Gooding Jr. It's really a great movie because it explains the business of sports. And it cuts through all the hype, and Cuba Gooding Jr. has one of the best lines in all of Hollywood history, doesn't he? About reality. And the, the sports organization which wants him to play for them is lathering up the talk on him, how great he is. Yeah, we want you to play for us. You are so like awesome, dude. We want you on our team. And he looked at the salary offer, which he perceived to be far below market value. Are you ready for the line? I want to see if you know this. You know what's coming, right? And he said, that's all like just BS. That's all just talk, and talk is cheap. If they want to show me respect, then... Awesome, you did see it. He just was totally blunt about it. He wasn't even pretending. He just wanted to cut to the chase to communicate, then be real. Then show me the money. Then pay me. Now, if you will forgive me for using Hollywood and business kind of blunt talk with you, I'll put it out to you, too, that your money is one of the ways you can show if your faith is for real or whether you're just a gasser, whether you're just a BSer and a, and a hypocrite. 
Show him the money. Do you mean it? When you say you are a great king, think of whom you allege to worship. What does Psalm 24 say? He says, I am the creator of everything. I am the grand owner. You don't let me into your world like you're giving me a break, like, um, like God says, I'm going to let you invite me into your big, important, powerful world. No, God lets you into his world. You're in his game. He's not in your game. It's his game. What does Psalm 24 say? The earth is the Lord's and... Ooh, that wasn't so good. <clears throat> Note to Pastor Jeff. Good passage for your uh, 101 class. <laughs> this is foundational. The earth is the Lord's and everything. In it. He made it. He claims it. He owns it. It was his game at the beginning. It was his game now in the middle, and it'll still be his game at the end. It's not like you get to invite him into the universe you control, where you are your own mini-goddess or mini-god. He let you into his world. It's all mine. In Psalm 50, he explains, it's not like I need your money because I'm broke. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Those aren't, that's not your livestock, it's mine. The stocks in a thousand portfolios are mine. The gold bars stacked up in the big vaults at Fort Knox are mine. Who made the gold? I made it. It's all mine. Like, hello? Like, I have to re-explain this. And I know he has to re-explain it, because the chief human sin is to make ourselves gods of our own personal little universe. That's why commandment number one, right out of the chute, is you shall have no other gods. And the, the, the idol that God most fears is when we make an, an idol out of ourselves. And our own appetites control all our decisions. What's in it for me? And God says, I made it all. Secondly, I redeemed it all. I'm a great king. The Lord Jesus bought it all back after the human race had launched its revolt. We not only, through our ancestors, cut ourselves off from God, we also dragged all of nature in with us. The book of Romans in chapter 8 says, the whole world is groaning as though in the pains of childbirth, in eager anticipation of the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. Meaning we've made the world sick too, not just the people sick, we've made the world sick. And Jesus redeemed us and redeemed the world at the cost of his own blood. He is the Lord. He's the Lord over, first of all, our sin. And because his love for us was greater than his disgust at our rebellion, he offered his life and spread his arms this wide and said, I love you this much. And now I have paid that incredible price not to watch you walk away and live like pigs again, but I've redeemed you and now I claim you to a different kind of world. I claim you and invite you, first of all, to receive my wealth my physical wealth, but even more, my heavenly wealth. I've made you spiritual millionaires. I've made you royalty of heaven. You're now my family. You're not only my street sweepers and toilet cleaners in heaven, although that wouldn't be a bad job compared to hell. I'd rather clean toilets in heaven than be burning in hell. But he invites you all the way up to sit with him at the banquet table. 
You're immortal now through him. You can't be killed anymore. Your life cannot be ended. He's the Lord of life. He has conquered death for you. You're bulletproof. Even if somebody can end your life on this earth, you just keep living in spirit first, in joy and serenity and complete security. But he's the Lord of of death and is going to spring all of you out of his grave as smoothly as he himself got up after his death on Easter Sunday morning. He's the Lord over Satan. He's the great king who invaded the enemy capital and did a victory lap through hell on the Saturday after he died. And then came back to earth for one more precious month to show people he really was alive. He is a great king and deserves everything. He deserves all of us. And he claims this, says, give yourself back to me. I gave all of me to you. Now find the thrill of giving yourself back to me. And I'm interested in all of you, your mouth. Give me your praises. Show me you mean it, that I'm a great king. And, and represent me in the world that you're proud of me. One of my most shameful moments, I'm still wounded over this, at what a jerk I have been in my life now and then. When I was in ninth grade at, at my high school, you know what's coming? You probably can, you could probably write the rest of the script because you probably did it too. I um, didn't want to take the bus to a basketball game at night and then have to stand on the street corner at 10 at night and take the bus back. So I, I uh, um, bullied, not bullied, I begged my parents for a ride. Could you, I wanted to be dropped off though. And they said, well, we'll come too. And I thought, so the three of us walk in to the front doors, and I am now 15 years old. Ooh, very cool. And guess what I did? Can you, can you just write the script for me? What did I do? I, come on, ditched him. I did not want to be seen in public with the geezers. Not with them. Not with them. I, I was like ashamed of them. And I am so embarrassed. And I, and I found them when I was ready for my ride home. Then I, then I was like, then I acknowledged that my chauffeur had come. You know, the servants had come to take me home to the manor. And I realized later, what a jerk you are. And I apologized to him. And you know how it goes with painful memories. I'm still grieving over it. For the rest of my life, I will be embarrassed about that. And it makes me more patient with my own four often sullen inmates of my house (laughs) who, who generally distance themselves from me in public. And I'm just saying, okay, God, I get it. They'll maybe outgrow it. And now I'm proud of my parents again and happy to stand around with them. They're awesome people. And God wants us to be proud of him. I'm a great king. Give it up for me. I have given you everything. I have, I have, I'm the Lord over the sin that bogged you down. I've conquered Satan. I've conquered the grave for you. And I keep, I I have promised to give you the daily bread you need. Everything you really need. And I even give you some of the stuff you want. In fact, I take great risks with giving you so much. You become spoiled pigs. And sometimes, sometimes I bless you by pouring it in, and sometimes I'm going to bless you by peeling some of it back. 
I'm the Lord of disease. Can I tell you a great story? In the summer of 2007, my freshman high school daughter, Liz, uh, what started out with a mole removal was diagnosed one month later with stage 4 melanoma. Just a high school kid. Just a skinny little stick of a girl. Stage 4. You know what that means? That means that the abnormal cells are now metastasizing in the lymph system of her body. She went through two surgeries. She's got a scar on her neck, uh, a big, huge smile from one ear to the other, where the surgeons had to go in and dig out lymphatic tissue, hoping against hope that they caught all of the diseased nodes before it metastasized and turned into full-blown lymphoma, which is almost always fatal. She went on interferon treatments for a whole month intravenous every day for a half an hour. Another load of interferon went into her body. And for another 11 months, she received injections every other day in uh, what is called subcutaneous um, needles. The doctors told us this last fall that there were now no traces of abnormal cells in her body. That's my testimony to you. He's a great king. I am so grateful. And I have no illusions where the healing came from. Her doctors can cut and they can put drugs in, but doctors cannot re-knit together the capillaries of cut tissue. When you need healing, it's going to come from the great king. And I'm here to tell you, it's a great place to be, to be safe in God's arms. And we had a very rough year. Uh, she was nauseous and exhausted half the time and barely made it through her sophomore year of school. Somehow she made it through without failing any subjects and kept on her credits. And now she has her energy back, and in a, in a few more months, I hope she gets the rest of her hair back. But I'm here to tell you, in your time of need, call on the great king who is Lord over all human disease. Because we're in his game. He's not in our game. Now the promise. If you want to turn it, I think it's on the back side. If you want to see a great promise, you've heard the scolding, you've been forgiven by Jesus, now you, you've heard the proclamation. Now we close with the promise. This one is not addressed to the priests. This one is addressed to the regular members. He's, the Q&A in this one, it's Q&A number five in the prophet Malachi. He's, he's having this conversation and God is saying, you're robbing me. Like, man, you are, dude, you are ripping me off. And you say, what? How? How do we rob you? And he says, in tithes and offerings, bring it all into the storehouse. Don't throw me like, uh, like I'm coins in the fountain. Don't tip me like I'm your waiter um, and, or throw me a buck here and there. Uh, test me in this, he said. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. You know, I think of all the people in America, I think the, the people who live here in the valley get the concept of, of a floodgate. Uh, one of the things I was looking forward to in touring Phoenix was to see the mighty Salt River. <laughs> On the map I'm looking at, there's this big blue stream through the middle of town. <laughs> Where is it? It ain't there. <laughs> but people who live here all the time tell me that at certain times a year, what's in that dry arroyo or whatever you guys call it, that wash, is such a fierce current, you better not take a little swim in it. And they all say, keep a tight hold of your dog, right? Because suddenly, boom, a wall of water comes pouring down there and sweeps everything away. That's what God is talking about. So you Phoenixers know that concept. 
where a sudden torrent comes blowing out of what seems to be nowhere. God is saying, call my bluff. I'm serious. Call my bluff. Test me. Normally, you're not supposed to put the Lord to the test, but God himself invites you. Call my bluff. See if you can outgive me. I dare you to try to outgive me. You can't. I got more than you. You can throw a shovel into me, but I got a bigger shovel to throw it back at you. Test me and see if I don't pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I can prevent pests from devouring your crops. So he not only blesses you in a positive way by giving you more stuff, but he also blesses you by taking away from you disasters that could drain off your resources even further. I can bless you by not letting you get sick this year. I can bless you by keeping your clunker of a car going for another 12 months. I can bless you by keeping your shaky job going. I can bless you by giving you a job that you don't have now. I can keep pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, meaning drop them prematurely or be killed by frost, says the Lord. I can do that. Then all the nations will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful land. Here's the response, verse 16. Here's our like example. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. You're so dear to him. He so wants to embrace you and claim you forever. I will spare them just as in compassion. A man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. In time, it will become obvious that you are connected with the Lord. So here's my challenge to you. Don't pull a Geithner. Think about what it is that you are doing and honor the Lord with your income. You know what I do? My personal thing is I don't trust myself um, to avoid the Tim Geithner attitude and so i have trained myself and i've tried to train my children with some indifferent success they'll, they'll maybe get it in a little more time but every time the lord gives me some income and i record that deposit in my checking account i immediately give back the percentage i've decided from the lord before i look at how anything else is doing and you know what never once have i had to go back and say whoops i gave god too much because he gives it back to me uh, faster than then I can give it to him. I'm just telling you, this is my story, and I'm uh, pretty old. I'm old enough to remember all the words to the Mickey Mouse um, Club song. <laughs> and never once has God betrayed me. I'm just putting that out there for you. We're in a tough economy, and I'd like to, I'd like to close with inviting you to pray with me that God will heal the economy of our troubled nation. That this is the year that God is going to do it for us. Many of you have been hurt by this economy, and there's more trouble to come. But by being faithful in our hearts, by trusting in the incredible gospel, celebrating our spiritual and material wealth, by rebuking our own sinful materialism and the pig in us all, the beast in us all, by continuing to love each other and love our God, and honor him like the great king that he is. Let's call his bluff right now in Phoenix, Arizona, on this day at Crosswalk Church. Right now, let us call on God and call his bluff and call on him 
to mean what he said. Pray with me, will you? Lord Jesus, you clearly value us a lot to live for us, to suffer for us, to die for us, to rise again, to become our friend as we struggle, to provide comfort as we're dying, to be our resurrector and guarantor of eternal life. We thank and praise you. Lord, we know you love us. You've demonstrated that beyond a doubt. Heavenly Father, you are our Father, and we, starting today, will honor you more like the Father you are and like the great King that you are. Now we call on you in our time of need. Our country is struggling. Many of our families here in this room and elsewhere in our country are struggling. We've lost savings. The economy is going crazy. The businesses in which we work are struggling to keep up with new realities. Many have lost their jobs. Many more will come. So each of us now comes to you from the bottom of our heart and implores you, first of all, give us the grace to treat you, not only with words, but our offerings, the great king that you are, and trust that you who own the game, who controls all resources, will give back to us that we cannot outgive you. Inspire in us generous hearts. But also we implore you that you will heal the economy of our country in the world and let us emerge out of this terrible recession. And we dedicate to you the praises that you so richly deserve, for it is in you that we put our trust. Let the people of God say amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.